guys. Welcome back to Opera Offstage. I'm Michelle. And I'm Jesse. And we're excited. Today we're going to be talking about role study and the importance of role prep, getting into kind of the importance of role study, talking a little bit of, you know, the pre-work and the post-work and what you can do after you've already prepped a role. Uh, but before we get into that, Jesse, what's like a dream role or maybe just a role that you really want to prep or are currently prepping? My dream and not so dream roles that I'm working on the prep for right now are Manon, because I really, really need a French aria and I haven't had one for a while. I've been avoiding it. Um, <laughs> and I genuinely, I like Manon as a role. And then I have Loretta from Gianni Schicchi. I love Gianni Schicchi. I just think Loretta, this is a bad position to come from for role study. I want to spice her up a little bit. But that's something we'll get into when we talk about how we take on sometimes bland characters. Cool. I set out the goal for myself for 2020 to learn or independently study three roles. The one I've spent the most time recently is also Manon. I think she is fun and flirty and cute and all of her arias are fun but tricky. So I'm having a good time learning that one that's definitely in the list of roles that I could perform you know in the nearer future another role that I've been kind of diving into is Susanna obviously a classic role in soprano rep and for young sopranos obviously something that everybody is doing that opera at all times and then the other role that I'm just learning just for funsies is another Susanna and just looking through her aria oh my god her arias are just like so stupidly beautiful her rest is hard as heck but we love it I love that role it's a good time I live in constant fear that my voice will never be quite big enough to sing that role I know me too (laughs) no one will stop me though I will sing that role I don't even care yeah exactly so been working on those yeah oh I'm just like so excited to be learning these roles and it's taken an especially good exercise for quarantine and for COVID since pretty much you know what else are we gonna do exactly might as well learn some roles (laughs) but even if it's not COVID learning some roles is a really really great thing to keep those juices flowing so before we get into the importance of role study what announcements do we have for this week Jesse? so first up we have our watch party this week on Friday the 14th We're going to be doing English operas this week, and you can vote on which English opera you'd like to see on our Instagram at Opera Offstage, and then join us on Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and watch with us and chat and make jokes, and we'll talk all about it. It's a really good time. Yeah, our watch parties are really fun. You know, part of the reason we do them is, you know, not everybody has access to watch operas from Medici, from the Met, from, you know, whatever, so... We provide that for you guys. We have a really great time talking with you and making jokes and talking about the scenery and choices and high notes and freaking out about all different sorts of things while we watch. And once again, these events are free. So join us, invite some friends. It's a a good time. And it's a good excuse to, you know, sit down and watch an opera that maybe you haven't seen or enjoy an opera you've seen before. So good time. Absolutely. And if there's ever a good time to jump in, it's on the English ones. Yeah. And next week, we are having another write-in episode, which means we want to hear your stories. Our theme next week is musical pet peeves. So is there a person in your music building who only practices their high notes? 
Did a cellist leave their case in a practice room for eight hours again? Does your conductor only do the weird swirly hand motion and never actually show you the beat? Whatever it is, write in, let us know. We'd love to hear it. We love reading out your stories. And it's just, it's a heck of a time. And so we will have open submissions on our Instagram, which is at Opera Offstage. You can DM us or you can submit it through our website, which is opera-offstage.com. It's always anonymous. We don't tell anyone who you are. So please, please send in your stories. It's always so much fun to read them. And then finally, please, please, please review us on Apple Podcasts. It's super helpful. It helps people find us. It boosts us up. It makes us more visible. And we really do read every single thing. We text them to each other. We cry about how sweet you guys are. So please help us out with that. We really, really appreciate it. I know. Quick shout out to our Opera Offstage community. You guys are so, so nice. We truly love and appreciate all of you. Whenever you guys send us DMs or share that you guys are listening to our stuff, like Jesse and I literally text one another and just like sob because we definitely feel your support and we really love the community that we've fostered. And so thanks guys for listening. We really appreciate you. Absolutely. We love you guys. So now into the importance of role study. I mean, would it be, like, stupid of me to just say, like, duh, it's important? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I guess the thing is, like, why should I be spending my time doing role study? Because it's your job. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but more than that. (laughs) Yeah, I think role study is kind of one of those things that can be very much for, you know, a singer. Yes, I know I should be doing this, but it kind of gets put into that kind of area of dread that we sometimes have when we're like forced to program a recital. You know what I mean? Like we know it's going to be a lot of work. We know it's a long term project and not necessarily something that we're always being held accountable to do. So sometimes it's an easy thing to put off, but it's really, really important. And we're going to get into that. Yeah, we're going to motivate you. We're going to show you why this should be your goal. Yeah. So probably the most obvious advantage to doing some role study, some independent role study, is building your resume, right? And honestly, I don't think that this is even something that I knew before grad school, was that you can learn roles all the way through and coach them and work them on them with your teacher and actually put them on your resume and just asterisk them and say, you know, role studied. I didn't know that before grad school. I feel like somehow I went through schooling not knowing that that was something that I could do so obviously if you are learning these roles 100% add them to your resume and that's a really really great thing because that's a perfect way to have your own individual season when you're up against an emptier season or as we all are with COVID it's just a good way to show initiative and self-motivation and the drive and being a motivated and on top of it, musician, to show a director that you've been working on roles even when you haven't been cast. Yeah. And especially, you know, I had a weird year where I took, well, it was right before this, right before COVID hit, I was taking time off for music for family stuff. It's a great way to fill out what might sometimes feel like little empty spots in your resume. Exactly. Shows directors that you were still working on stuff, and that's very admirable. And I think, you know, in a lot of ways can be a lot better, not only you know, for resume's sake, but for keeping your skills sharp. It's a great thing to be doing when you have, you know, a less busy season. And I think the other thing on top of building your resume is, you know, every season we have these young artist programs and these companies releasing their seasons. We know what operas they're doing. And then we only go and learn the aria that we're going to take to an audition when it's like, 
if there's a role that you really want to do and you know most of the time when we're applying for like 10 plus young artists programs or competitions a lot of these places are doing the same operas every summer right so just take time to learn the role if you're applying for a young artist program and you see that they're doing a role that you definitely should be learning learn the whole role instead of just the aria because then hey you have it on your resume the director is going to see that you have the role studied already and that's only going to help you of course and it's also just better for you to know the full role either way it's going to inform your arias more if you're aware of what else is happening absolutely and then the other big thing for resume building is, you know, I think a lot of the times when we're looking at roles to prep, we think about the very standard ones, right? I mean, even you and I just listed off Manon, Susanna, you know, very, very standard roles that we should be learning. 100% you should be looking at those roles because they will definitely be serving you right now. But another thing to consider is prep some modern roles and list them on your resume because there's a huge market for new music and new opera and you want to be able to fit in that niche if you have an interest for it or have an ability for it. Collaborate with some composers. You know what I mean? That's like a great thing to be working on and to have on your resume because, I mean, musicians working on new operas are smart. You have to be, right? The singing of modern opera is a totally different skill set and technique um, and level of musicianship, you know, from doing like the Mozart. It's just different skills, different techniques. So having a little bit of both, if you'd like to do that, is really, really great. Exactly. Yeah. And then on top of just building your resume, just the self-benefits of role study. Like I said in our motivation, our building motivation episode, tackling a role, especially one that you love, like me learning Susanna, like it just makes me so excited about learning a role. It makes me so excited about learning music and doing that deep dive into text, into plot, into all of these different things. So if you're facing a bit of burnout or, you know, are not feeling very motivated, returning to role study is a very motivating thing to do, especially when it's a role that you love. Also, it keeps your music skills sharp, like I mentioned before. I find with COVID, I'm a little less interested in spending time at the piano and like working out on individual arias, but kind of presenting myself with a long-term project of, okay, I need to learn these recets, I need to learn these arias, I need to think about the text, I need to do my translations for this scene, are all different things. Practicing your languages, it's great exercise for keeping all of your music skills really, really sharp. Yeah, and I think it also helps you learn how you learn. To put it simply, you don't know what you don't know until you know. And that's a a very confusing phrase. <laughs> but but it's true. Until you start to tackle stuff, you won't be aware of what it is that you need to keep building on, what's not working for you anymore, what has to change, and how you prepare things. So it's important, and role study is a great way to come back to those things and get back to basics. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other fun thing is like, for the benefit of yourself, once you're learning a role, collaborate with people, experiment, coach, bring in friends, say, hey, I'm learning Manon. Do you want to learn this role alongside? Maybe we can work out some scenes together just for fun. Make it a collaborative experience. I mean, you don't even necessarily have to have the pressure of putting it on, but just working with other people recreates the environment of when you actually are going to perform a role. And study some roles that you can perform now in the near future. 
once again, pay attention to what other gaps are doing, kind of what roles would fit you right now, and then learn some roles that you won't perform for another five to 10 years. I mean, <laughs> learn while your brain is still really fresh and when we still have that extra time to really take the time to learn these roles well. And it's really fun because those are the dream roles that we're looking forward to performing in the future, right? So like, play with around with those too. Yeah. Even if you can't necessarily take on some of the vocal parts of some of the bigger roles that you're not quite ready for, doing the actual pre-work will help you in the long run and will inform some of your choices in other operas that are similar. But the other thing is that a lot of times the prep time for an opera is a lot shorter than you think it is, whether that be in school or in the professional world. You know, sometimes you have a long period of time. Sometimes you know if you're contracted for something years out, but sometimes you have months. (laughs) And even though months can feel like a long time, if you're memorizing something, that's not a long time at all. So doing role study can open up a lot of opportunities for you, especially where people might drop out of something or unexpectedly you get these opportunities that have a shorter time frame. So it can be really good to prepare you. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the other thing that kind of falls into this is, you know, the art of being a good cover. Right. So even if you are a cover for a role, so I guess this is a little different because rather than just doing it out of like self-motivation with role study, you are contracted to be a, a cover. I feel like we really have to have an attitude adjustment when we are cast as covers. I think it's super easy to kind of fall into that mindset of, well, dang, I guess I just wasn't good enough to do the role. And now I'm back up. I was so excited the first time I got a cover. It's really fun, honestly, because you get to go in, have a good time. Hopefully you get to sing in some of the rehearsals. So you get to prove yourself a little bit, which really actually is so huge to directors um, without really having like the pressure to perform, which I know might sound like, well, isn't that the whole point? Like, yes, but like you really just do get to have a good time. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have to be stressed about, like, all this other stuff. Like, you just get to go experiment. You get to make, like, different choices without the stress of, like, oh, my God, it's opening night. Like, you know, so just take it, look at it as a privilege. You know, like, being a cover is really cool. I was going to say, observing from, like, a third-person perspective, too, is really helpful. I found that I learned a lot just by listening to the feedback the other person was getting and also being able to observe what they were doing and say like, oh, I love that. I would never have thought of that versus like, oh, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if I like that interpretation. And so you learn a lot without necessarily, like you said, without the pressure of knowing you're going to be on stage that day. And so it allows you to literally observe the process from the outside. So yeah, let's actually break into what the basics of role study are. Because for some of you, you may never have actually done role study. You know, some of you are somewhat young and or some of you may have been mostly been doing chorus work up until this point and are just starting to study roles. So let's break it down because that's the other problem we kind of have is a lot of times we'll talk about things like role study and then not define what that means. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's doing it, but I don't know what it is. Well, it's also just such a monstrous long-term project that it's sometimes kind of like, well, where do I start? Well, yeah, I started asking other musicians who I admire, how do you learn your music? I can learn music at this point, but I love to know what other people's processes are and to try them out. <laughs> so mm-hmm. if, it's fine to ask people, what's your role prep process? Because everyone's is going to be different. We're going to just talk through some of the basic parts of it. But everyone has like in it, all things, their own way of doing it. 100%. So the the basic three parts are going to be music learning and prep. And then what I like to call inside versus outside work. 
which is kind of getting into acting terms, but inside work is emotional and mental prep. Outside work is the physical character. So you want to start us off on music learning? Yeah. You know what works for you in terms of music learning. So some general things that I could advise on top of kind of what you are either in the process or have already learned works for you. I would say the biggest thing with role study is not rushing the process, is allowing yourself to have enough time to properly learn the role. And obviously, step one is like learning your music correctly, right? (laughs) Which you should always be starting with text work first. And to be honest, when I was like young and in undergrad, this was something that I kind of always rolled my eyes at because this is the thing that your teacher tells you constantly. This is what every single master class, you know, guest tells you is like, always start with text work, always start with text work. And I feel like I would always just be like, really, that's your advice for me? Like, can you give me literally anything else? And then I, you know, at some point you realize that truly that they all say that for a reason. So just save yourself some woes and really do your text work because that's what's going to make your language sound authentic, right? That's what's going to make sure that your diction is everything that it needs to be, doing text work and speaking things in rhythm. But that's what's going to give you the, the natural flow, the natural emphasis that is really authentic to that language. And you should definitely be able to speak your lines as a monologue, which is kind of like the worst exercise ever. It's awful. So many coaching sessions. Oh, so many coaching sessions. It's super awkward. It, it's really just like a focus thing. You really have to just kind of like force yourself to focus. But once you're able to do it, it's going to be so much easier for you to put that role into what I call like long-term learning, right? So not just learning a role so that you can perform it in a couple months and then you like literally forget all of your words and everything after you perform the role, which has definitely happened to me where I've rushed to learn either scenes or roles. And like after I've done it, a couple weeks after, I don't even remember my words. Delete. But we want to, right? <laughs> like, unfortunately, I feel very seen exposing myself. But <laughs> but we want to move that into long-term learning where you're really spending time with the text so that it sticks with you for longer, right? So once again, allow yourself to have enough time. Rushing and taking too big of chunks only leads to mistakes. It only leads to sloppiness. It only leads to bad diction, poor rhythms, which obviously are even more of a nightmare when you're having to put it together with a conductor and an orchestra and other castmates. So really like the biggest piece of advice that I can give you is take the time to learn your music correctly. Undoing bad work will take so much longer. Undoing bad memorization and bad language skills and bad rhythms takes eight times as long as doing it correctly the first time. I promise, I promise, I promise. And also learn your rests. Learn your rests. Because getting your note is almost always going to come from the orchestra. And if you don't know what you're supposed to be listening for, you're doomed. (laughs) But I see a lot of times people will just learn their vocal line and not pay attention to what the either the pianist or the orchestra is doing under them. And you'll also save yourself a lot of time by actually taking the time to listen to and pick out what you're going to be listening for in the orchestra. It's going to help you, especially in those first couple rehearsals. Oh, that's huge because nothing is worse than when you like, that's one of those things that you can't really fake. Mm -mm. You know, you've either spent the work or spent the time listening and picking out exactly what you're going to listen for. And like you have to do that exercise enough times until you can pretty much do it 
almost every time. Because if you settle for like, ah, eh, 50% of the time I can get it, I guarantee you when you're in front of the conductor and the pianist is playing and you have to come in in the middle of like an ensemble number, you are not going to get it. Okay, you do not want to be relying on that 50% of the time. It's just a nightmare. Everybody's got to stop. Everybody's going to be bugged. Like, save yourself the drama and the shame. <laughs> and that's such a good point. Sometimes the people around you are going to be wrong. Oh, 100%. Sometimes your other leads are going to be wrong. Sometimes your fellow ensemble members are going to be wrong. So you're going to sometimes also be fighting against people who are wrong. And so you really have to be comfortable in it. And taking the time to understand what's playing around you, like I said, save you a lot of trouble. Oh, yeah, because people come in early or late all the time, especially in those early rehearsals when everybody's just trying to piece their ensemble number together. So, yeah, being like rock solid is key to success in anything in music, but especially like when learning a role, you really want to do as much of the prep work as possible before you have those in-person rehearsals, which is what coachings are for, which is what grabbing your other leads and putting them in a practice room with you and just saying, hey, well, you guys just like noodle around with me real quick like I just kind of want to see where we're at you know what I mean like those are all great things to do and don't be afraid to do that I did that all the time during Boem <laughs> so just grab them and say like hey I just want to get really comfy with this most people are fine with it oh 100% honestly I would say that like at least from my experience, nine times out of ten people are like oh god yes please I would love to run this yeah. everybody like it's just too nervous to ask each other because we sometimes have this bizarre thing that's like, oh, I'm still learning this part. I'm still a little unprepared or like, I don't really know how to approach this. And nobody wants to ask each other to just like rehearse before the rehearsals start. And it's just really funny. I did that all the time during dialogues of the Carmelites. I mean, that role just like absolutely wrecked me. It was by far one of the hardest roles I've had to learn. And I was constantly going to one of my best friends uh, who was playing the Chevalier. And I would just be like, oh my God, Patrick, will you please go into practice room with me and just like do this again? I just I just need to get it in my body. And that's totally fine. Every single time he was like, yes, let's go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so reach out. But I would also say like the biggest part of learning your music is once you've learned it, the huge next thing to tackle is memorizing. And your ability to memorize, I feel like is very individual. I'm not the best memorizer. That's something that is a little bit harder for me and takes more time. So once again, giving yourself the time, taking things in small chunks. Don't get mad at yourself if you only learned a recit one day. You know what I mean? Like that is oh, great progress. If you can have like a single little short recit 100% memorized, you feel super comfortable. That is way more effective and going to save you so much more time than trying to learn two recits and an aria in one session. It's just not going to stick the same. You're going to have to spend even more time in the coming days to learn all of that and really have it memorized. And also like just read through your text, recite it aloud while you're walking to the store, while you're doing the dishes. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't even necessarily have to be like I'm sitting down right now and that's the one that I'm going to do. Like you can do it on the go and yeah, sleep on it. That's the other thing. Sleeping allows everything to stick so much better in the brain. So sleep on it. Come back to it the next day. I would consider myself to have like a pretty dang good memory. But even then, I think memorization for music is a bit different because it's not just about pure recall. It's about recall in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you the number of times I thought I memorized something a 
uh, correctly and then like in the moment swapped lyrics or in the moment, you know, forgot a particular entrance. It's just very easy. Be prepared even when you think you've memorized something to have to come back because you have to remember it in time, mm -hmm. which is a bit of a, a different beast. Yeah. And once you have a couple sections memorized, try going all the way through or going through a third of what you have memorized and taking it into smaller chunks and slowly in incorporating more and more into it rather than tackling big, I want to go through all of act one. It's like, no, go through a couple scenes, see how you do, do that a couple times, then add on a couple more scenes and go from there. Because once again, the whole point of allowing yourself time and taking things, you know, in baby steps is we are trying to learn things long term. That's key. Exactly. So then we kind of enter like after we've started to learn or have learned our music, take us a little bit into inside work. So inside work also kind of falls into the category of pre-work because some of this you'll be doing while you're learning your music. It's kind of a lot of the stuff in inside and outside work will be incorporated into your music learning because the first part of inside work always, always, always comes down to text. And knowing your text absolutely inside and out. Which means you do not only know the translation for your part, you know the translation for everyone else you're interacting with on stage. And you have to, because otherwise you don't know what you're reacting to when you sing. Oh, that's so real. And I think we can all recall seeing performances where like the person has like a one-dimensional idea of what the other characters saying exactly you have to know what they're doing and then we ha we have like the stock reactions like oh i know whatever they said is making me angry or excited or i laugh here but like you're such a smarter musician if you actually know what it is that they're saying mm -hmm. i mean it goes further than just knowing translations you should know the history of the opera and if there's an original text of play that it's based on, dig into that. Oftentimes, if you dig into those older texts, you also might find more information about your character. Often the plays are longer and more fleshed out than the operas end up being. So you can actually glean some interesting things from there. But the important thing about translations is that you need to not only have a word-for-word -word translation, and you definitely need a word-for-word. -word. You cannot solely lean on an artistic translation. Artistic translations are great for when you do your monologue in English. That can be very helpful because if you did a word-for-word -word in Italian, it's going to sound really funky in English because of the grammar. But you need both because you need to know what exact word you're saying. Yeah, and that helps so much more with phrasing. You know what I mean? Like when you're translating and putting translations into your score, it is really important to do that word for word because, you know, if you're singing a phrase and I don't know, talking about roses, you need to know which word in that phrase actually means rose and how do we color it? How do we approach it? What's the most important part about what I'm saying? That leads to good phrasing. You don't want to accidentally be crescendoing on the word and. <laughs> exactly and composers don't always help you no sometimes the high notes are on unimportant note on unimportant words and you have to know what the important word is which is why it's so important that you go to your text before you even touch the music because if you don't you're going to end up thinking oh well the music does this so this must be the important word wrong sometimes composers screw us over that's just that just is what it is sometimes they do that to us so it's really important that you know exactly what you're saying and what came before what you just said. It's important to have all of that context before we even start to sing. It's important to also have some of these artistic translations, some of these ones that if you were to sing the piece in English, that's what you would use. And those are really helpful to help us kind of modernize the text 
Because sometimes older word-for-word translations don't carry the same weight in our minds. Which is to say that, like, if you're reading Shakespeare for the first time, you may not understand the joke because the the older English doesn't translate to you. So sometimes it's also helpful for you to translate some of these texts into more modern language so that you can get to the emotion and the heart of the text. To the point where you understand what you're saying too, not just your character understands what they're saying. Definitely. And I think, um, yeah, for some of these older operas, once you're comfortable with the word for word, yeah, I mean, come up with your own artistic translation. And it can be silly. Like, it doesn't have to be high art. Like, if you come up with something that still sticks true to the intention and you get it and it's easier for you to remember when and recall when you're in a scene of, yeah, this is the essence of what I'm saying. Great. You know what I mean? Write in things that work for you and connect with you and help you understand the intent. Yeah. For example, like, if I were to use Musetta as an example and Quando Mambo, when I walk down the street, all the men stare at me. I would very rarely say that exact sentence out loud. <laughs> mm-hmm. But what you might change that to is, I don't know if you've seen this, but everybody has eyes on me. I don't need you. And that's get to the heart of what you think the character is actually saying. Yeah. Because that's going to help you figure out how you'll say that phrase. Because otherwise it's just kind of an out of place statement. Mm-hmm. Um, and that comes in right in emotional beats and impetus. What makes your character say the thing? And that keeps us from doing the bad thing that we often do, which is like, this is a rage aria. It's mad. Aki Fuse is a sad aria. It's just sad. There's a lot of emotions inside of all of these things because every character has goals. And so the reason why you say something changes throughout these pieces. You don't have one emotion when you talk to people. 100%. And I think this is also really important is sometimes the cues for our emotional shifts are stated in the orchestra or the, you know, harpsichord before we change thought. You know what I mean? You see this all the time in bel canto especially where the orchestra does something and that clearly is your shift in mood or realization or whatever and then you react so also circling those musical cues that are you know outside of yourself are really important to know and that's going to give you a lot of depth to your aria because a lot of times i hear and i myself ask what am i supposed to do during these rests Sometimes there's a lot of emotional context given during the rest. And so writing in those emotional beats, that understanding of what's happening can be very, very helpful. And like I said, all of that is going to inform your musical choices. It's going to make your actual singing that much easier because you're going to understand, oh, you know what? I think I'm actually angry here. And that's going to completely change the vocalism of what you're going to do. So doing this work first saves you a lot of trouble of being like, should I crescendo here? It takes off the really weird academic brain we sometimes get when we get to work. And it puts you in that place more as an actor. Definitely. And when you're writing in these beats, the important thing is to take into consideration what are the emotions and the goals of this character. So for example, during one aria versus another, your character has completely different sets of information. So when you sing something, you have to make sure you're not considering your character knowing the whole opera. You know the whole opera, and you should. But consider how much your character actually knows at any given point in the show. Definitely. Your character is not omnipotent. They're working with whatever information they have. (laughs) And pretty much all of Mozart's operas are built around the idea that people are confused about what they know. So it's pretty important to know what your character does and does not know at any point in the show. 
Exactly. So true. Literally like Mozart 101. Yeah. But you should always know what your character's ultimate motive is. You should have a very, very clear idea. But for an example would be Musetta. It would be easy for you to say that Musetta's goal is to seduce Marcello, but that literally happens by the second act. So you have to look bigger as to like, what does Musetta want in life as a whole, not just in the show, but like, what is her big goal and aim? And there's no real right or wrong answer. Well, there are some wrong answers, but for the most part, you can interpret that how you wish. <laughs> but it, that's going to inform why your character does what she does. Yeah, 100%. And then feeding off of that will be smaller goals. Like, you know, she at one point obviously wants to seduce Marcello. There's a ton of smaller goals that she obviously wants to accomplish, but it's always going in be, to be in pursuit of these larger ideals. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's important to remember opera is drama all of these characters are humans and everybody wants something and not only do they have their own personal motive they are wanting and in different ways manipulating the characters around them so knowing not only what you want for yourself but what you want from the other characters that are on stage with you definitely informs how you act and how you sing Absolutely. You can't understand the obstacles in front of your character until you understand what they're actually trying to accomplish. Exactly. And the big thing is that those big ultimate motivations can change. Some characters go through a pretty dramatic character arc through their shows. So there can be people who change. I'm not saying that that's an unchangeable ideal as the like overall purpose. But once again, even understanding that change will give you a better understanding of how your character develops throughout that show. So they aren't just these one-note funny characters or these one-note angry characters. Because it's very easy to miss out on nuance, especially when we play comedic characters. Mm -hmm. Another big thing that you can do uh, is consider the combinations of emotions that fit together in any given character. There is a big difference in anger that is rooted in fear than anger that is rooted in jealousy versus anger that is rooted in pride. Those are all pretty distinct emotions. You have to trust that your audience actually can tell the difference. And the more specific you get, the better off you're going to be, the more interesting your whole idea is going to be in front of someone on stage, because those are all such different motivations. Yeah, and your audience is smart. Like Jesse said, they, they will pick up on the different connotations and the different facets of whatever emotion you're trying to portray they will pick up on it and like you said using those is my anger rooted in this that or the other makes the performance a lot more dynamic and interesting and memorable another really good and uh, underutilized tool to add interest to characters if you get someone like say i'm gonna keep using bohem because my brain's just there today if you get someone like Chonard, where that character gets not a ton of stage time and not a ton of background information it's super handy to have actor secrets. And those are things that are never stated explicitly, but that you hold in your head. So it could be anything. It could be that, you know, Shonard secretly is rich. It could be that Shonard, you know, he's, he's pretending to be for, poor to fit in. It could be anything, okay? I actually think that was one of the ones that somebody gave the Shonard in one of our shows. But that's going to add a lot more depth to your character, even if there's nothing explicitly stated. And that also lies into this idea that like you need to fill out what happened to your character and who your character was before the show ever started. Yeah. Because all of these Definitely. characters had a life before we got this peek into it. And a lot of that will determine 
how you see your character and how the audience will see your character. 100%. And then I think the other thing that we kind of need to discuss is a lot of the times, uh, well, maybe not a lot of the times, but sometimes we're presented with roles that are rooted in trauma or have something traumatic happen to them as a, a center plot to the opera. And I think when you're doing that emotional work, that prep work, and definitely when you're actually rehearsing and staging, there is an art or a, a way that you need to be comfortable like leaving that character and that emotion and that trauma behind when the rehearsal is over. You cannot let it stick with you. You really just kind of have to dip your toes in it when you need to and then let it go. That was something that was very interesting working through with once again, Blanche in Dialogues of the Carmelites, because at the end, that opera is just so tragic in the end. And to like be watching like all of your other castmates and like imagining them to be these nuns who are being beheaded is horrible. There are so many other roles that go through like that. And I think that's also something that like we just also experience with female roles. Like we just die all the time or like... <laughs> you know, were violated on stage. Like all these crazy things happen to these opera heroines. And not to say that that doesn't happen to men, but like women die in opera, like left and right. So we, this is definitely like a skill that you need to work on. And I think the biggest point is like when the rehearsal is over, it's over. And that baggage and trauma has to be left in the rehearsal space. Yeah. And that's the nice thing about actually doing some of this role prep is it's going to at least give you an idea of some of the boundaries you may need to set while taking on some of these more difficult roles as you dig into them and maybe whether or not you really want to accept some of them yeah definitely it's a safe place to explore and understand those difficult characters yeah and that's also something that you can 100 percent talk about with your director i would say like 10 out of 10 times they're like 100 percent wanting you to also be okay and so having discussions, if like there are boundaries that you need to to draw or like it's just something that you need to discuss with your director, like 100% go and approach them about it. Yeah. The other side of this coin is outside work. So it's movement work. And I think movement work is <laughs> woefully understudied for musicians. And we talked a little bit about this in our What Did I Miss episode where we were talking about music education. But we, we spend so much time teaching the voice that sometimes we forget that we're going to be on stage and seen. <laughs> we got to move. We got to move. And here's the thing. Some people work better starting from the emotional context of a character, but there are a lot of people who work better from the physical standpoint. I, for one, like to do a bit of both. I think because of how much music we have to learn, I often start with the inside work. But when I'm actually like character building, I do a lot of outside work now for a lot of reasons. And I'll get into some of them. But movement is key in creating and playing characters. Because otherwise, people could just listen to a recording and they don't need to see you on stage. And the number one thing is just ask yourself, how would your character move? You know, different characters from different time periods would move very differently, you know. So consider the time and place setting that your opera is in, especially whatever your director has chosen. But, you know, would they lead with their head or their hips or their chest? All of those carry different kind of emotional weights. People who lead with their head kind of can be thinkers or even nerdy. Hips tend to be more sexual. Even chests can be sexual depending on what you're playing. And then ask the question, why do you see them that way? And try walking in those positions and see what feels good to you. 
Um, are they higher or lower class? So how graceful or clumsy or, you know, would they sit with their legs spread or would they sit very properly? There's a ton of information you can glean. And often I find that it's much easier to get into the headspace of things once I have figured out the physicality of it. Yeah. I also find that like working in the physical while you're still learning your music is so important. And it's a, it's a huge tool that you can use when memorizing. So when you're memorizing text, if you have an idea of kind of like what you imagine the blocking you want to have or you want to do, do it while you're memorizing. Because that's the other thing is I think sometimes when we've like have been sitting and have been memorizing and then we're like, we got it. And then the second we try to move and memorize and like recall, it's like gone. <laughs> you're yeah. like, did I memorize anything? Like, so moving while you're singing, moving while you are memorizing is a huge tool to getting everything to just kind of lock together. Both movement and emotion and unknowing mm-hmm. what your words actually mean, knowing what you're going to say. All of those things are going to help you a lot when it comes to memorization. They're all going to make it much, much easier. Because if you do memorize in the absence of those, you risk focusing on your movement so much that you forget what you're supposed to be singing or when you're supposed to be singing. So definitely try and incorporate things. But also consider your movement in the context of how you react with other people on the stage. Is your character someone who gets very close with people or are they very distant? Are they touchy or, you know... uh, Are they hesitant to be touched by anybody? There's so much you can learn about your character by asking yourself how they move. Because a lot of our movement is a combination of things we've seen, the people we are, where we grew up. Movement can tell you a lot. And and on that note, record yourself moving. I'm so sorry to have to break it to everyone listening to this podcast. You move weird and you don't know it. And it's just a universal thing. And I don't, I, I've had directors point out the weird ways I move. I swing my arms really funkily. I have double joints in my shoulders and my elbows. So I have to be careful not to hyperextend them. I sit weird. I walk weird. I, trust me, I'm, the list of things that have been corrected on me uh, is miles long. And that's okay. We just don't realize that we, we look odd doing things. That you don't actually do the standard way of of movement most of us don't <laughs> well most of us don't move like a don or a donna right exactly so that's something that we have to like train ourselves to do so yeah t- recording yourself is so key both in your physicality and the way that you're moving but also your face i think like oh, this particularly happens to me where i think i'm really communicating a certain emotion and i'm like really selling it and then i watch it back and i'm like oh like that doesn't look like that emotion at all Oops. And I have to like rethink about rethink it. It usually just means I'm not specific or I just like doing something with my face or my body language that's just not quite it. And I mean, that's like the biggest feedback that you can get, right, is watching yourself because like you instantly see and you instantly know what you got to do. Oh, yeah. There's sometimes you think like, oh, this is going to read so well and it does not read in the slightest Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just important. Just get used to recording yourself and watching yourself. It's it's hard. It's very difficult, and it sucks. But you gotta do it. Well, it's also really nice, like when you have two different takes. You're like, you know, I think a scene could like really either go this way or that way. Recording yourself and then watching back allows you to, you know, pick which one was more effective or which choice was more interesting. So, getting that sort of feedback without having to be like in the rehearsal is really great. Another big thing that I'm just gonna 
throw out there. Don't move around the stage without purpose. You don't move oh, in any space without purpose in real life. Like you don't, I mean, sometimes you may wander around, but even if you're wandering around, you're probably looking at things. So just keep in mind that when you do a movement, like walking, we all have a bad habit sometimes of in auditions or in like recital stuff, doing the weird step forward, step backward thing. So just be aware if you're moving forward or stepping forward, there should be a reason you're doing that either to get closer to someone or there has to be a purpose behind that movement. Because otherwise you just look uncomfortable. Yep. Yeah, that one's just a, a mini PSA. But also the other really good thing about knowing yourself and knowing your own body is there are certain positions and things that can trigger emotions, which is very handy on stage. And learning about that and learning about yourself and how you do that can really inform your characters. For example, I know when I'm nervous, I tend to either rub my hands or I actually tend to pull on my lip, like physically on my face. It's a weird habit, but if I, for the right character, it would be the right character choice. Not while singing, but maybe in a moment where there's rests. And so knowing even just like your unique body cues for anger or fear or sadness or whatever can not only help you reach into those emotions on stage, but can also give you some unique, specific character choices for the characters you will play. Ah. Uh, <laughs> 100%. And that brings us into physical change will can both precede and follow emotional changes. Sometimes our physicality changes before our actual like emotion reads. So sometimes you'll want to trigger a physical change before an, an emotional beat. And sometimes you'll actually want the physical change to follow your actual words. Once again, those are just fun options when you're making choices. Make sure you're not always doing one or the other because life is varied and full of spice. <laughs> And another one that I meant to say earlier when I was talking about how are they around other people, the other really interesting thing is how does your physicality change when you're around certain people? You probably don't have the exact same physicality around your friends that you have with your parents, that you have with your teachers, that you have with your director. There are ways that we switch up how we talk and look and act around different people. Your character should do the same thing. And that can give a ton of options and can inform a lot of interesting choice. Yeah, 100%. Like we said, your character is trying to get something and trying to get something from other characters. So how do you represent that physically? But I mean, are, is your character, you know, subservient to the person? Is your character in charge of that person? All of these things are going to change how that character acts and feels. So take those into context. But my last thing that I really want to say about physical movement is that <laughs> if you're doing comedy... Physical movement is so important because even though you may have all the context to get the joke, your audience may not. And physical comedy can cue people to when a joke is happening. 100%. So make sure if you're doing comedy, you are playing up the physicality of it. Because especially when we are singing in other languages that are unlikely to be our or our audience's first language, the physicality of it can tell us so much and it doesn't have to be insincere movement in the sense of like you don't have to be like balls to the wall crazy to use that phrase for the second time today <laughs> take Gianni Schicchi for example when he sings Addio Firenze that is sung very sincerely like oh no we're going to have to say goodbye to our city but physically a lot of times if you see the show he's got his hand tucked into his shirt and he's waving it around like his hand has already been cut off because they've committed a crime which is what happens and that is the joke, that he is actually messing with all of these people. 
Because otherwise it would just be a sad song about leaving your city. But what he's actually doing is he's mentally tormenting these people around saying, like, if you let anyone know that we changed this will, bye-bye hands. Exactly. Yeah. And that is, that. like I said, that cues people off to, like, this is a joke. He's taking them for a ride. Exactly. So even if you don't feel like you're a super funny person, bringing in the physicality can help so, so, so much. And with that, I'll say, push your physicality. I promise you, it's so rare that any of us do too much, either emotionally or physically on a stage. So especially when you're practicing, push it all the way, record yourself, and see if you actually look crazy or if it's just reading right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the best thing about role study. Go nuts. Go absolute nuts with it, because that now is the time to look like a fool, alone in your room. <laughs> 100%, and honestly, constantly be trying different things bringing up new ideas, talk to friends about it, different intentions, you know, watch other people's interpretation of the role and, you know, really deep dive. But I will say that don't get so attached to one interpretation or one idea, especially in role prep, because when you work with a director, they might have like the complete opposite view and you have to be able to mold and find a middle ground or take their ideas, mix them with your own, whatever. Um, So just be flexible. Try a bunch of different avenues. And it's also really nice when you come to a director and you're like, this is what I think our intentions are. They appreciate when you come with ideas and you already come with a strong sense of character. Oh, yeah. Don't be afraid to make choices, but be willing to play. Yeah, that's a fun part about it. So you get to collaborate with people and everybody's got different ideas and they're going to give you ideas that you hadn't even thought of. And like, it's it's a good time. So after you've learned your role, don't forget to add it to your resume. And if you're just role studying for the sake of role studies, put it on your resume to just get another, you know, exercise those skills, get another role under your belt. Perform the scenes with friends. Collaborate with other student directors, conductors, coaches, singers, etc. Like, just have fun with it. If you're going to do the work, then, like, you know, why not? Especially now so many people are doing, like, online scenes and online programs and recitals and stuff. Like, why not? Yeah. You know? And your understanding will change when other people bring their ideas to the table. And that's a good thing. Yeah. And after you've learned a role, another really, really important thing is continue to brush up on that role every once in a while, especially if it's one of those dream roles, right, that we might is good for us, but we still need a couple more years of study, you know, of maturation. Brush up on it. Don't just spend a summer learning these roles and then never touch them again. So keep them fresh. Look, sing through them every once in a while. Then you're well on your way to beefing up your resume, having a good time, and just keeping those skills sharp. It's a great, great exercise. That's the real beauty of role study, too, is that when you get to come back to a role, whether it's because you're going to be performing it soon or whatever, it's really fun to see how your interpretation of things changes. Because who you are as a person changes. And therefore, how you see certain characters is going to drastically change over time. 100%. So go learn some roles. (laughs) Seriously, let us know what roles you're looking at doing. Tell us what you're studying right now for the summer. What have you found that's helpful for your role study? You know, comment on our Instagram, send us a DM. We'd love to hear it. We'd love to know. Tell us your secrets. And you can tell us all about that either through our social media. We are at Opera Offstage on Facebook and Instagram. You can also contact us on our website, which is opera-offstage.com. And please 
don't forget to send us your stories for next week. We're very excited. And you can send those, like we said, to the website or the Instagram. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.